Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Perrine Fark, author of The Successful Hybrid Team, What the Best Hybrid Teams Know About Culture and Others Don't, But Wish They Did, says the following, there's a revolution happening at work. It's called hybrid work, and it's changing the way teams work. Only the teams that are mastering culture are thriving in hybrid work. On today's podcast, Perrine shares how to master culture and thrive on your team anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode, actually our first recording of 2023, yeah. to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon, on the West Coast, where it is just really wet. And on the East Coast, we've got our fabulous co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. And today, we have back again, for the second time, award-winning diversity and inclusion expert, Perrine Fark who just launched her second book, The Successful Hybrid Team, What the Best Hybrid Teams Know About Culture That Others Don't, But Wish They Did. (laughs) I just said that in one breath. Yes, you did. Perrine Fark is a professional keynote speaker and diversity expert nominated in the top 50 most influential women in UK tech. She drove strategy at leading organizations, including Facebook, PagerDuty, Pivotal, Enlight Software, and Avpoint. And of course, authored Inclusion, The Ultimate Secret for an Organization's Success. That's a much shorter title. So, But we're going to be talking about the longer title, What the Best Hybrid Teams Know About Culture, That Others Don't, But Wish They Did, The Successful Hybrid Team. So we're so excited to have you back on the Hi, podcast. Hi, Mitch. Hi, Ginny. How are you? Hello. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me again. And what an introduction, Mitch. <laughs> no, we're, we're so excited. As soon as I saw you had your book, it's like, okay, okay, she's coming back. <laughs> so what we always ask is, yeah. you know, so what surprised you since we spoke last time about this crazy world we're living in? Hmm, good question, as always. I'd say I have been surprised by leaders, organizations' interest in the topic of hybrid work. I didn't really, I saw it in my day-to-day work, but I didn't expect to see that much, I guess, interest from organizations, from leaders, from managers around hybrid work. How do I manage a team in hybrid work? Yeah, I didn't expect to see that much interest. Let's put it that way. Okay. So there's normal people like Ginny and I who like see the same thing and we don't write a book, but you do. So (laughs) tell us what led you to put this all in a, I've got the book here. It's not a short book and it's just so informative. What led you to write a book about this? It was one of those. I had it at the back of my mind for a while. I kind of always knew I wanted to write at some point a book around the topic of hybrid work, working remote. And I guess the pandemic, you know, the pandemic COVID really accelerated that because it just happened. All of a sudden people were thrown into working remote or hybrid. So I was like, you know, now now is the time to write a book about this. Wow. And how long did it take you to write this book? I'd say on and off 
a few months because I was very disciplined with the writing, very disciplined. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say maybe six, six months, let's put it six months. Yeah. Great. That's great. And fabulous. Uh, fabulous. <laughs> and your publisher is Wiley, which yep. that's not yep. fooling around. That's some no, serious no. publishing. I was keep... very lucky and fortunate. I have to say, I truly think I was fortunate to find a commissioning editor who could mm-hmm. see the value of my book. It's interesting. I was listening to a podcast. <laughs> I can't remember the name. It was about writing and someone who works in books. And they said that the publishing industry is not an industry of demand, it's an industry of offer. It's not about the demand, it's about the offer. It's interesting. So it's if someone comes up with an interesting idea for a book, then the commissioning editor will say, okay, let's do it. It's not, you know, like clothing or retail where it's a demand industry. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. It's sort of like so, the way Apple worked. Yes. So the obvious question is just to... To talk about the book, again, the title is Successful Hybrid Team, What the Best Hybrid Teams Know About Culture That Others Don't But Wish They Did. Yeah. What do the best hybrid teams know about culture that others don't but Uh, wish they did? Well, if I had to summarize in one sentence, I would Uh say they prioritize the culture. They really do prioritize the culture in everything they do. That's what they do well. And in which ways, because we, you know, we've heard about that with a lot of our interviews. What are some of the things that they do that demonstrate that prioritization? Yeah, it's a lot of things. And I guess the easy answer would be to redirect you to the four pillar framework. That'd be great. Um, Yeah, because so because that, you know, I've tried to summarize into kind of a framework so that it's easy to digest. But essentially, I'd say. What I call pillar one is creating a unified hybrid leadership team. And we can talk about it if you want in a minute. Then pillar two is around building extreme transparency. And I know you had a question around the word extreme transparency. And I know that's a good question. And then the third pillar is around what I call over communicating through all channels. And then finally, last but not least, the fourth pillar is around unifying. That's quite a mouthful. So be ready. (laughs) Unifying cross-cultural hybrid teams through cultural awareness. So it sounds like a lot, but I'm trying to break down into kind of steps, you know, how to do it well, how to do remote work or hybrid work well. Great. Why don't we go through the pillars? I mean, I obviously want to jump to the extreme one, but let's just talk about creating unified leadership because, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I experience with my clients a lot is how do you unify these leadership teams when they themselves are living in a yeah. virtual or hybrid world. It's really hard. Look, I'm not going to be going to sugarcoat it. It's hard. It's difficult. It requires intentional work and it's also possible. So when I talk about creating a unified hybrid leadership team, I talk about using values to unify and put a lot of research into this book, but it was so interesting because there's lots of great stories around great leaders that use values to unify. I use the example of, I think the Cisco, Cisco CEO, I can't remember her name. She took over the leadership of Cisco. Cisco was doing, I think, really poorly at the time, like on the, you know, verge of bankruptcy. And she came in and Cisco, despite all the troubles they were having, she really knew that some of the values of the clients, the customers of Cisco, but also the leaders were around loyalty. And so she really came in and she said, look, she brought all the leaders together in one room and she said, look, this is the situation. This is really dire. We're about to go bankrupt, but you're either going to, stay with us and like we're going to stick together or you can leave and i think something like 100 leaders only two left but the 98 remained and they kind of pushed through that ceo managed to turn around the situation so it's just a great example of 
using values to unify leadership team. And there are ways you can do that in remote work. But then I talk about role modeling and setting the tone because, you know, the leaders, even though you don't see them every day in the office because you're not in the office, through their emails, through their Slack messages, through their tone on Zoom calls, you can see how they behave. It's really they're being watched even more and they're being observed even more in remote work because everything they say is kind of a clue for the other employees around what's acceptable, etc. So really role modeling is even more important. Then I talk about setting common goals. So if the leadership team is able to set common goals, and I talk a lot about opportunities to co-lead, then they're going to be aligned, of course. And there is a great example. I found lots of great examples from my research for this book around leaders that were co-leading. So for example, there were someone who was head of operations and someone who was head of, uh, I think, sales, and they were kind of put together to co-lead projects and they kind of forced them to be aligned on their goals. And then finally, I took I talked about the importance of scheduling informal time. So, you know, we're all busy, we're all in meetings, you know, but if you don't schedule that informal time, like how was your holiday? What are you working on right now? What's happening in your life right now? You don't really build that connection. That really is what making people go above and beyond. So those are all the things I talk about when I talk about creating a unified hybrid leadership team. So what I'd like to talk about is the research because there's so many experts, I've got the air quotes, you know, <laughs> experts who come up with ideas and put it out there. How did you actually get your research so that someone reading the book says, okay, that's worked before, I want to do yeah. that? It was very intentional. And also because I personally love researching, I find it mm-hmm. fascinating because I love it. I did it with like enthusiasm, really. So, for example, I had the structure of my book. I knew the pillars and I knew the kind of subchapters. But for each of these subchapters, I was, you know, researching and I loved like all the stories I found. So in my research, some of those are, well, actually everything is, you can find it, the resources. Obviously, I would never quote something that is, you know, the source is not legitimate. But some of these are like anecdote, what you would call, I guess, an anecdote. Like, for example, the one I just shared with the Cisco or one, a great one with the Starbucks CEO. Mm-hmm. I think it was Howard Schultz. Oh my yes. God, yes. such an amazing story. I love this story. And some of these are like real stories of real CEOs and, you know, what happened to them. Fascinating. You should read the Howard Schultz story when he was a little boy. Really fascinating. I could talk about it now. And then some of those are more like what you call a study or research or survey with statistics and things like that. But I think it's nice because it's not just my voice. It's, you know, there is research out there. There is anecdotes. There is real people. So I think it makes it more real when I add more research to the book. I love that. I think I love your thought, which I never thought about before, which was that because we are separated, every, let's say, email, every Slack yeah. is, you know, people is kind of are, you know, trying to say, okay, what is he thinking? What is she yeah. thinking? What's going yeah. on there? What did you find in that area? And what, what seems to work? Yeah, I mean, it's basically, you know, so there are people who are, I always talk about great leaders, and I've seen them in my career, I've been privileged to work with a couple of great leaders, inspired leaders, and it's just, they're just being so genuine and generally care about the people and what they're already doing in the office. Now they're doing over Zoom. So for example, a great leader might join a Zoom call. Imagine there was like 30, 40 people, maybe it's a weekly like team call or something. And, you know, it's just a small thing. They'll say, you know, like happy Monday, everyone, you know, they'll make a little nice joke, you know, nice comments. Something that will kind of set the mood because imagine sometimes you join a Zoom call, there are 40, 50 people. It can be a bit intimidating. 
But, you know, if someone just kind of breaks the ice and just say like something funny or sets the mood with like a, a joke or something, anything, it kind of sets the tone like, okay, our leaders say that then we can joke a little bit, right? So it's so important on Zoom because, as you know, Zoom can be quite intimidating sometimes, especially when you have large groups, you know, 30, 40, 50 people. So if you have a leader there who obviously has got the charisma, the influence, the authority of a leader, and he or she say something that's kind of nice or has it kind of touched, then everybody else in the room, so to say, in the virtual room, will be more inclined to kind of replicate the tone, right? I love that. Okay, so we're going to go now from your first pillar, which is creating unified leaders or leadership team, to extreme transparency. <laughs> okay, so there's yeah. transparency and then there's extreme transparency. Yeah. What was your thinking as you claimed yeah. that title? Yeah, and I know that the word extreme can be a bit provocative. I didn't use it in the spirit of being provocative. It's just what I was trying to convey was the idea of being very transparent. And by that, I mean that, let's say, for example, now we're, in, you know, some people might say we're in a recession or economic crisis, etc. And some organizations might be going through, you know, a rough patch, for example, well, employees are probably wondering what's going to happen to me. You know, are we going to be okay? Are there going to be some layoffs and things like that? So I think if there is extreme transparency and leaders are very honest about what's happening out there, it's going to really reassure employees and create more trust. So that's what I mean by, th by that. That is so interesting. Okay, we're going to go with it. All right, so tell me, why did you choose to use extreme for transparency. Now, why not just use transparency? Yeah. And I know it's a little bit provocative, I guess, but what I was trying to convey is the importance of being very transparent. When, So for example, right now we're going through what pe some people might call a recession, an economic crisis. And as a result of that, a lot of employees out there are probably feeling a bit uncomfortable or unsettled or questioning or have doubts what's going to happen to me. Are they going to be layoffs? And what I've noticed is actually in times of troubles, in times of economic recession, etc., or crisis or whatever, organizations and leadership teams that are being transparent about what's happening, what actions they're taking, what steps they're taking, what might happen, they're actually creating more trust from employees and they're retaining their employees more. Whereas other organizations take the other direction whereby they stop communicating with employees and that's making things worse from an employee trust perspective because employees feeling, okay, we don't know what's happening. We have no <laughs> idea what's happening in a leadership team. I'm going to leave. I'm going to find somewhere else and I'm going to feel safer. So that's an example of the importance of being transparent, especially when there is a difficult time because then you create the trust that's going to make your employees stick around. You know what? I've got a question. You know, I'm always, I'm all about pillars, right? And I love the way you've, you've done the four pillars. So one might say, well, gosh, isn't transparency about communication? And you actually have one pillar on transparency and another pillar on communication. Yeah. So it's I'd true. love for you to double down on the distinction for our listeners, yeah. you know, why the emphasis on transparency and how it's different from communication. Yeah. It's a very good question because you're right, they are very connected. And actually, I was, oh my gosh, I was questioning myself for so long. Should I, you know, combine them and should it be just one chapter? And yes, it could have been one chapter. But I thought, I felt very strongly about the transparency aspect. And I even managed to break it down into smaller chunks. So, for example, in the transparency chapter, I talk about 
For example, a very real example, very concrete, encouraging leaders to embrace social media. You know, in the day and age of 2023, remote work, hybrid work, social media is more prominent than ever before. And there might be leaders who are in their, I don't know, 60s, who are wondering, how do I, should I use social media? The answer is yes, you should, but in an authentic way, in a way that's natural to you. Why? Because a lot of your employees are going to be on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, and they're going to appreciate that you're being authentic and transparent. So it's one way, it's one way that leaders can be transparent on, you know, in hybrid work. I also talk about promoting open communications. And I give example of, for example, if you're a manager, you might host open hours, you know, that open door policies, you know, imagine if you're in an office, you might have an open door policy by which anybody can pop up in your office at any time. Now you're remote. So you might say every Thursday from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m., it's open door. You can put a Zoom call in my calendar and I'll speak to you, you know, things like that. Or I talk a lot about transparency, about creating a flatter organization. And by that, I mean that it's not that hierarchical anymore, but it's quite flat so that anybody can talk to anybody. So those are examples of the transparency pillar. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a great I've idea. I've been do that myself. It's interesting yeah. because you, you're kind of replicating the open door policy in remote work. You're saying, all right, every Thursday, me, the CEO of the company, I block time for any employee to come in and speak to me, whether you're an intern, whether you just started the job, you know, and I'm making myself available and I'm being very transparent because I'm not saying I only want to speak to, you know, the C-suite. I want to speak to everybody in the organization. That really creates transparency. Okay, that's great. Let's do the next one. Yeah. Over-communicate is your next one. Yes. yes. So tell us a little bit about how you over-communicate and why that's so important. Yeah. And I know, again, some people might say, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that a bit too much? Because listen, we are all overwhelmed by the amount of emails we receive every day, texts and notification and Slack. Why should we over-communicate? And I get it. Sometimes it can be a bit too much. Uh, but really, it's some people prefer certain channels than others. So it's about using all the different channels so that your employees will see your message. The reason I say over-communicate through all channels is because in remote work, obviously some people are going to prefer certain channels over other. For example, I know I'm more of an email type of person. Some people prefer Slack for better or for worse. Some people like text. Some people like WhatsApp, right? Some people like to use, you know, Monday.com or whatever software. And it's important to acknowledge that not everybody has the same kind of communication channel. So one thing I've noticed is in remote work, you can easily lose message because of all these different hundreds of different channels. So you might say, all right, I've sent an email about this. I might as well send a Slack message and I might put it on the monday.com or, you know, send a text if it's important. But one thing I always use, I always use the acronym of, I say CEOs or leaders, they're a bit like CROs, like chief reminder officers, right? <laughs> you might have heard that before, but I really believe that the best leaders are really, they are chief reminder officers. Their mission is to make sure every employee in the organization understands what it is they're trying to do. And it might seem obvious, but trust me, a lot of people out there are doing different things and they're not doing the same thing. So the importance of over-communicating even more in remote work is in my Opinion, very key. Yeah, I remember learning back in the days when we weren't remote that, you know, a leader had to say something seven to 12 times in person. And yes. so I bet it's a lot different. 
question I have is how are leaders moving towards that over-communicating? What over-communicating meant in non-hybrid mm-hmm. was what? Having more meetings, yep. you know, sending up more emails, yes. <laughs> whatever. And now you had this nice long list. That means the leader has to be proficient in all of those. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's a good question. And also, uh, some leaders do not like the idea of over communicating. I know a lot of leaders who do not like the idea that having to repeat themselves, or certainly they don't like having to use different methods of communication. And again, it's a bit of a learning curve. For them, the other thing I would say is you can use much more data-driven approach. So you might say, all right, let me just look at the data. I know that our our intranet is only used by 20% of my employees, for example. I know that, however, monday.com, our new shiny tool, is used by 90% of employees. So therefore, I'm going to trust the data. Or you can do a qualitative survey in your one-to-one with your team. Say, hey, can you tell me how do you like to communicate so, and it's a mix of a bit of qualitative feedback, getting through the one-to-one with your team, what they like, but also using the data. So, you know, some leaders don't like to be told what to do. So they might say, oh, let me look at the data or let me ask my team, right? Oh, I love what you just pointed out. That's a key. Ask. <laughs> right? And, and that point of looking at the data and mm-hmm. then making an assessment and then taking action on it goes against what some leaders have preferred to do in the past, which is whatever I want to do, that's how they're going to get the information. You answered my question beautifully. That's the mental model they have to Mm. switch. It's a bottom-up approach, not less of a top-down. All right, let's do the last pillar, which is, you know, really connects back to a little bit to your first book, which was Inclusion, the Ultimate Secret for an Organization's Success. Yes. So you actually chose your last pillar to talk about cross-cultural hybrid teams. Yes. And it's, I have to admit, it's my favorite. <laughs> okay. All right. I have to confess it's my favorite pillar because that's the one I'm the most passionate about because it really touches on culture and that's you know my sweet spot. So yes, I say, right, now that we're remote, now that we're hybrid, companies can now hire globally, right? Where maybe before they used to hire locally or in their city or in their region or in their country. Now they can hire maybe in a different continent, in a different country altogether. So that means their talent pool is much bigger now. But that also means that they might have challenges with time zone, but also with culture. So now that they are, have employees across every corner of the world, how are they going to make sure they understand the culture? Because we might all speak the same language, which might be English in our case or in most cases, but, you know, beyond the language, then you have all the cultural nuances. So I talk about things like, you know, promoting psychological safety. What that means is making sure everybody feels safe to speak. And it's really hard because a lot of cultures, let's say, for example, a lot of in Asian cultures, it's very hierarchical. Someone who is really low down the hierarchy, like a student, for example, or an intern, they will never kind of question the authority. That's just a cultural thing. So taking that into consideration, leaders try and aim and thrive to create psychological safety, whereby anybody feels safe to say what they think without fear of repercussion. There are different ways. But then also, you know, considering language fluency, 
and national communication norms because yeah you know some people might be you know english is their second third language and you might kind of forget i remember when i worked with a lot of u.s companies i'm based in the uk and i remember that there are lots of kind of expressions or ways of saying that are very american and some are very british right and one day there is a ceo of a company who said something to me and i had no idea what she meant and i was like i'm sorry what do you mean it was kind of you know a way of saying something i don't know maybe a sport analogy or something i was like i'm really sorry so it's kind of remembering that although people might be fluent in english business english they might not understand the expressions or the acronyms you know, for example, we say, oh, let's not boil the ocean. Okay, someone might say, what do you mean? Are we boiling the ocean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was it last month? Someone said, that's really groovy. I'm like, groovy? Are we Wait still using that word? <laughs> Wait, you're in the 80s. Come on. I know. Like, no, I use groovy. Exactly. Anyways. Think of what you just shared. Again, it goes back to what you said before. I really want to punctuate it. Again, as the leader, I need to know who is on that Zoom call. Where are they coming from? Mm -hmm. And what are those norms for each one. Yeah. I mean, I know whenever I'm going to speak with four Indian people yeah. from India, four people from China, what does that mean? Yeah. You don't just go, all right, what's my next meeting? Yes. I have one last question. What I saw in the book, because I got a copy, it's a very, very good book, is can you tell us why belonging, maybe you want to define belonging, but you said in the book that belonging gives most hybrid teams, the human and competitive edge. So what is mm -hmm. belonging from your research and how does it give hybrid teams the edge? Yeah, I think in my opinion, belonging is, you know, when you feel like you're part of a family, I know it sounds a bit maybe cliche or whatever, but I think we can all look back in our career. Maybe you can look back in your career. I can look back in my career. And I had time where I actually felt, you know, those people, they had my back, you know, and I felt that if we were going through a rough rough patch or whatever, they would have my back. And so it's kind of when you feel like you belong, you feel that you're one of the family, you're one of the clan, you're one of them, and they've got your back, you've got them back, their back. And when people feel like they belong, they would go above and beyond. And at that point, it has nothing to do with the salary anymore. At that point, it's like, yeah, the salary, sure. But it's like, all right, I know they're there for me. I'm there for them. I want to do this thing for, because, you know, we're a good group. So... That's why I think, especially in hybrid work, where some people, they might never see each other face-to-face. -face. They might see face-to-face -face once a year. When they feel that they belong, I think that's even more important because then they're going to go above and beyond. It's not about micromanaging anymore, checking in at 9 a.m. and checking out at 5 p.m. It doesn't matter which hours, how many hours you work. It's about getting the work done. And if you feel like you belong, you're part of the team, so to say, you know, you're going to work how many hours you need to work to get the work done. All right, great. So this has been fantastic. And we could go on and on and dive even deeper or wait for your next book. Uh, but for <laughs> now, where can we find out more about you and find more great resources? Yeah, easy. LinkedIn is my number one channel. So if you're on LinkedIn.com, add me, Perrine Fark, or I'm also on Twitter, Perrine Fark UK. I'm on Facebook, Perrine Fark, and I'm on Instagram as well. <laughs> Talking about all social media channels, you know, I'm everywhere. <laughs> it sounds like it. Okay, great. Well, this has been phenomenal. It's great to see you again. And really, congratulations on your book and good luck with that. So thank you so much, Perrine. Thank you so much, Ginny. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in another incredible episode of Team Anywhere. And we can't wait to see you next time. Mm -hmm.